Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that bends and twists the wills of men for its own purposes. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. Together, we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the bonkers of the MCU. <laughs> so listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Lonnie, do I ever have some four-color facts for you today? Yay! This is my favorite part of the whole show. <laughs> I I think you're going to have a good time. We're going to okay. talk about a couple of badass Asgardian ladies. I like it. And then I'm going to tell you about Canada's answer to the Avengers. I love that. <laughs> oh, I know you will. <laughs> so obviously our first episode deals a lot with Lorelai and Lady Sif. Sure. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about Lorelai. Yes. I, I, we, I actually am excited to talk a little more about Lady Sif because I kind of breezed past her for Thor mm -hmm. and Dark World because there was so much going on in those. Yeah. Well, I love Sif. And I knew that this was here, Yeah. you know, for me to play cleanup. But we're going <laughs> to talk about Lorelai first because she's less interesting. I feel like you're going to have questions and interesting insights for Lady Sif. Okay, maybe. <laughs> so Lorelai first appeared in Thor Volume 1, number 337. That is November 1983. Again, surprisingly recent. Uh-huh, yeah. Like we've had a few of those that were not 1960-whatever. So. Sure. Mm -hmm. She was created by Walt Simonson, a name that I have gushed about previously. Yes. Mm -hmm. Lorelai is actually the younger sister of a much more famous Thor villain, Amora the Enchantress. Ooh. I will probably talk more about the Enchantress when we get to Thor Ragnarok because she is tied very closely to Scourge, the Executioner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Although she does not show up in Ragnarok. <laughs> eh, what are you going to do? Yeah, all right. Needless to say, Amora is the A-lister and Lorelai is really the also-ran, mm -hmm. which is why this episode kind of makes me hope that they might have future plans for Amora. Well, you know, I can't say anything. No spoilers. Oh, that's good news. I don't know that it is. I'm trying to be, you know, vague. No, I think opaque. if they didn't, you would just say no. No, but maybe I know that you would think that. And I'm using my psychology. Now I'm messing I'm with your head, Unruh. <laughs> I'm both simultaneously crushed and elated. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Schrodinger's emotional situation. Right. Lorelai is tied pretty deeply into that whole Simonson penned epic that I talked about before. Mm -hmm. The one that involves Malekith and the cask of ancient winners and Loki being extra sleazy oh, and, sure. mm -hmm. and Baldur's ultimate fate. Hell, mm -hmm. Muspelheim attacking Midgard and Asgard. Basically the whole universe in danger. Mm -hmm. And yet somehow, and I'm actually very impressed with this, this desperate woman attempting to seduce Thor for incredibly petty reasons mm -hmm. is not only interesting, but it is vital for how the whole thing plays out. Mm -hmm. It's pretty fantastic. All right. So I have a question. Yes. When in the episode, Lorelai is talking about taking the man that Sif loved. Was that Thor? I assumed that she was talking about Thor. Yes. I thought it was, but we haven't textually acknowledged, like as we discussed in Thor The Dark World, whether Sif is in love with him and we've, we're looking at it directly or whether that's just kind of something plain in the subtext. So I find that interesting because that was a question I had when I was watching the episode, trying to figure out what that history was. Now, I am surprised that you feel Sif's 
on-screen 7,000 minutes of longing looks at Thor means that we don't textually know she likes him. <laughs> well, I don't know that we... I don't know. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm well, going to bring some comic crazy. book with me, yeah. but again... 7,000 minutes of longing looks. Which only confirms for me that Thor is stupid. If he has not hopped on that with Lady Sif, he's nuts. I have sort of mixed feelings about Mm -hmm. MCU Lady Sif. I like her a lot better in this episode than I have really in, you know, her Thor offerings, honestly. but. good. Uh, but I mean, I, definitely in comparison to the Jane Foster that we have so far received. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like you said, and you can gather this from this episode, Lorelai's whole deal is wrapped up in being, air quotes, in love with Thor, mm-hmm. wanting Thor to be in love with her, and then resorting to mystical means to ensorcel him into loving her when all else fails. Uh-huh. So comic book-wise, she does have some minor magical powers, but her ability to make men do what she wants is usually chalked up to tremendous beauty and skills and seduction. Mm -hmm. And I find this to be a mound of ever-increasing bullshit the more time passes. (laughs) And the more we start thinking about people as individuals rather than monolithic blobs that are attracted to the same kind of person. Mm -hmm. But... She's also skilled in charms and potions, especially love potions. Mm-hmm. So I feel like getting a generically attractive TV actress, no offense, and yes. giving her gender-based hoodoo is a step <laughs> in the right direction. Okay. So that's really it for Lorelai. I mean, I could go into more detail of her parts in the story. And she does, of course, go on from there to do other things. But mm-hmm. I don't want to ruin that Simonson epic because seriously, everyone should read that thing. Okay. And and her part is, like I say, it's vital, but it's also kind of small. Like it, it's one of those, uh, the pebble at the top of the mountain that rolls into the giant sure. snowball kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. So so I will move on to Lady Sif. Okay. Sif is textually Asgard's premier warrior, mm-hmm. second only to Thor, and even with Brunhilde a woman better known on Earth as Valkyrie and may or may not be the Valkyrie in Thor Ragnarok, but you'll have to wait until we get to that for me to talk about that. Okay, sure. Mm -hmm. Needless to say, the Warriors 3, who we get a lot of in the Thor movies, are Mm -hmm. very good, but Sif and Brunhild are great. Mm -hmm. And much like the Wu-Tang Clan, nothing to fuck with. (laughs) Now... As is only natural for a magnificent warrior goddess who's been floating around superhero comics for 50 years, Sif has seen some shit. (laughs) Her original shtick was pining away for Thor in unrequited love, which is lame and I hate it. Yes, it should be totally requited. Needs to be requited. (laughs) That's a way to go. I don't argue with you. But comic book wise, the fact that the only other love interests for her have been other dudes who are also worthy of holding Mjolnir, Mm -hmm. including my favorite terrifying alien horse monster, Beta Ray Bill. Beta Ray Bill! Yes. (laughs) And the aforementioned on a previous episode, Thunderstrike. Sure. Those are it for her. It kind of makes her feel shallow in a way I don't like. Okay. Is it shallow or is it that she is so extraordinary that she can only find love with men who are also extraordinary? Men or terrifying alien horse monsters. Sure. Well, that too. Okay. But the thing (laughs) is, they have to be somebody else who can hold Mjolnir. It. It feels like a weird Thor thing about it. Yeah. 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 Like she's sort of fetishizing Thor stuff. Well, maybe she's really in love with the hammer. I mean, 
I don't know. <laughs> okay, if a gothic novel is Girl Meets House, I am here for sort of weird gothic superhero comic that's Girl Meets Hammer. All right. Although that may be when Jane gets to be the Thor that holds the hammer. Oh, yeah. We talked about that before. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. So I just... It's the kind of thing that makes a certain amount of sense in the moment that you do it, but then you do it two or three more times and you go, this is a pattern that I'm not sure I yeah. feel good about. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why I was so excited that we have somewhat recently had a couple of Sif-centric stories. Great. Mm-hmm. Including one by Kelly Sue DeConnick, who is a truly excellent writer responsible for all kinds of things. Most importantly for the MCU probably is the version of Captain Marvel that we're going to get in the movie, more or less. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But Ms. DeConnick also has a fantastic creator-owned book called Bitch Planet that is like a, I don't know, like a feminist treatise prison planet sci-fi thing. It's really good. Okay. It's really good. The Sith stories come from Loki using Sith as a pawn after the Asgardians were reborn when Mm -hmm. Thor ended the cycles of Ragnarok. Okay. Now I'm going to pause for a minute. How much of that do you want me to unpack? <laughs> I uh, Maybe a little bit. Sure. Okay. So if you don't know from actual Norse myths, mm-hmm. unlike a lot of other mythologies, Norse people knew how theirs ended. Uh-huh. Ragnarok uh, translates roughly as Twilight of the Gods. It was essentially the end of the world. But what's kind of fascinating about it is the world ends in blood and war and fire. Mm-hmm. And then is reborn with a new set of gods that are related to the old set of gods. And mm-hmm. then we don't know because that's the new cycle. But right. we Norse people knew how their mythology ended and also how it kind of restarted. Uh-huh. Interesting. This kind of got folded into the MCU as you would have Matt Fraction, who is actually mm-hmm. Kelly Sue DeConnick's husband, write uh-huh. a series of Thor stories that started with things like after the 40th Ragnarok. Oh. Mm-hmm. So this cycle was never really explained, but was integrated into Thor's story somewhat. Okay. In Thor's own story, he figured out that it was a cycle, that they mm-hmm. were coming up to the end of this version of Asgard's time. Mm-hmm. He didn't like that idea, so he put a stop to it. Okay. This caused that Asgard to essentially die but be reborn, many of them in humans, like okay. inside human beings. Mm-hmm. So there was a time when Thor had to run around, like, reclaiming the souls of Asgardians oh. so that he could rebuild Asgard mm-hmm. one last time. Loki being lord of all douchebags, <laughs> snatches Sif's soul and sticks it into a very elderly woman who is dying of cancer. Oh. Nobody knew what would happen if the spirit of an Asgardian died along with its human host. Mm-hmm. So it was really a terrifying moment of truth for this peerless warrior woman, right? Yeah, sure. So Deconic Sif one-shot really deals with her starting to come out of that trauma and regaining her sense of self. Wow. And then this continued in Journey into Mystery, which I mentioned is what Thor's book turns into when Thor's busy doing other stuff. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they did this really long Loki-focused arc, and then a new team came in to Journey into Mystery and did a big Sif-centric arc. Ooh, interesting. And it's centered on this newly reborn Sif and her place in the world, and it's Mm -hmm. pretty good stuff. Yeah, it sounds great. So, so she hasn't always got the best shake. 
But recently she's been much more interesting and important, especially when, and I won't go into all this now, Asgard became Asgardia and was run by three goddesses known as the All Mother. And <laughs> it just became an overall more woman-centric place. Oh, I like it. Yeah, when Jane was Thor and just, you know, a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff, she became much more front and center, sifted. Okay. So, very cool. I, I yeah. like, I'd like to see her get a better shake in the MCU. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, we'll talk about this more as we go, I feel like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of gives us an idea of how that might work out. It, it might, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to touch back on Deathlock right okay, quick. Okay, yeah. So they are doing something very interesting with him in the show compared to the comics. Okay. So comic book wise, he is frankly monstrous, mm-hmm. just just hideous, like a, a desiccated skull, much more obviously part robot, yeah. you know. And you can actually get an idea of what he looks like when you have somebody scan him with x-rays or whatever in the show. Yes. Mm-hmm. You get that half metal skull and a, and a skeletal desiccated face and you get really close to the comic book version of what he looked like all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the show needs a way to make him obviously more than other humans, but they just cannot go as far as the comics, probably due to budget, but I'm kind of fine with it because, yeah. again, he's hideous. Right. Mm-hmm. So adding new bits onto the outside of him that kind of interfaces with the centipede tech is a really great way to split that difference, mm-hmm. but still nodding at the roots of what you get when you look under his skin. Ooh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. I just, I may come back to Deathlock now and then because it was just, I really appreciated what they were doing to kind of keep to the spirit of the various right. Deathlocks, mm-hmm. but not spend 70 bajillion dollars every time he has to step on screen. Right, sure. Lastly, in the end of the beginning, you get yes. a brief mention of Department H. Mm-hmm. Department H is the fictitious part of Canada's real Department of National Defense. And Department H is the part of that that handles super people. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was originally made famous as the agency Wolverine told to go fuck itself when <laughs> Professor X came and asked if he wanted to join the X-Men. Right. Now, they eventually become famous for creating Canada's answer to the Avengers. All right. This starts with an old friend of Wolverine's building a power suit themed after the Canadian flag. Ha <laughs> Who is then sent to retrieve Logan on behalf of Department H. When he goes after Wolverine, he is called Codename Weapon Alpha. Aha. Uh-huh. Now, he fails, partly because Wolverine is the baddest of badasses, but also because the X-Men do not come to play. Right. <laughs> do not send one guy against a team of everybody who's awesome, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Weapon Alpha's name is later changed to Vindicator, and he becomes the leader of Alpha Flight, Canada's yeah. premier super team. Okay. Their first mission was to beat the X-Men and, and once again, bring Wolverine back in from the cold. Okay. It also didn't work out. (laughs) I mean, this is because we're in American comics and they were originally built to get owned by the X-Men, right? Mm -hmm. So Alpha Flight has never quite been given the due that I think they have coming. All right. Now, are they supposed to be antagonists or are they just like lesser good guys? So they start out very much as antagonists in the X-Men book Mm -hmm. because Department H feels that they have invested way too much money in Wolverine. Yes. They Mm -hmm. want him back working for them. He does what he wants to do, and he Mm -hmm. decided he wanted to be an X-Man. Sure. (laughs) And so they're like, well, I mean, uh, if we can't have him 
on his own will send somebody to get him. Right. And again, I mentioned um, the guy who becomes Vindicator is an mm-hmm. old friend of Wolverine's. He and his wife actually find Logan when he's running around the Canadian outback crazy, like animalistic after mm-hmm. he'd gotten his adamantium skeleton and claws. Wow. Like that drove him very off the rocker. He was not well. Mm -hmm. And so they find him and kind of nurse him back to something like sanity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then introduce him to Department H. And so they feel very betrayed. And so, you know, like there's a lot of uh, soap opera business going on there. Mm -hmm. So they definitely start out as antagonists. But once they're established and they kind of shake hands with the X-Men and go their separate ways, mm-hmm. when we get Alpha Flight books, which do come up every now and then, yeah, they tend to be protagonists in their own story. They really are okay. the Canadian Avengers or the Avengers is the American Alpha Flight or whatever. Yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, they are really pretty badass. They're pretty okay. great. Uh-huh. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about their original lineup. Yes. Because I think you will you'll be entertained. Okay. <laughs> So Guardian is the fellow who's originally Weapon Alpha. He's also been called Vindicator. Mm-hmm. James MacDonald Hudson is a scientist from London, Ontario. He built a suit of battle armor. It looks more like a uh, like a superhero outfit than it does like Iron Man's armor, but it's got oh, a lot okay. of circuitry and stuff built mm-hmm. into it. So he's able to fly and manipulate Earth's magnetic field. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he's the team leader. But the best part of this is that his suit is flag-themed, and it's just like a big maple leaf thing going on. Oh, yeah. It's just great. It's <laughs> just great. It is. It really is making the best of I, – I mean, I like Canada's flag fine, but as far yeah. as turning it into like an awesome costume, yeah, that's a little tough. It's a big maple leaf, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Vindicator definitely does the best you p- can possibly do with that, I feel. Okay. <laughs> You also have twins, North Star and Aurora. Mm-hmm. North Star is Jean-Paul Bobier, who's mm-hmm. from Montreal and is a mutant with the powers of super speed and light generation. Okay. His sister, Jean-Marie Bobier, is North Star's twin sister who suffers from dissociative identity disorder because oh. 80s X-Men comics were just soap operas with superpowers instead of sex. Right. <laughs> I'm just... Come on. You know. All right. Uh-huh. Now, like North Star, she is also a mutant with powers of super speed, flight, light generation, and molecular acceleration. And their mm-hmm. powers get exponentially better when they touch. Like when so they have like flesh Wonder to Twin flesh powers. Touch. They have Wonder Twin powers. They activate. Is that? Absolutely. I have no problem with this comparison <laughs> <laughs> at all. I think that's great. No, they have their own powers separately, but they, and they're the same, really, yeah. more or less. Um, but they just get that much better when they are wow, working together. Wow, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's kind of cool, especially considering they don't really get along very well. Oh. <laughs> so now it's like, go over there and you hold hands with your sister and be more awesome. And they're like, I don't know how I feel uh. about it. <laughs> you also have Sasquatch. Of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> Walter Langowski is a scientist from British Columbia. Mm-hmm who can transform into a giant fur-covered beast. Okay. Originally, they kind of tied this to a Hulk-style gamma radiation experiment that was that was thrown off by a solar flare. <laughs> but eventually, they let that go and just explained he's a mystical monster of some kind. Sure. You mm-hmm. know, like you do. Yeah. Shaman. Not a great superhero name. 
Mm-hmm. But it, it's very descriptive. Michael Tuyungman is a First Nations medicine man from Calgary. He is actually a skilled doctor and a powerful sorcerer. All right. He's got like a pouch mm-hmm. that uh, is like his medicine pouch, you know, mm-hmm. and it you reach into it and he just gets whatever spell he needs. Yeah. It's basically a dimensional portal to all these other realms of power and it just knows what he needs and lets him reach into it and pull it out. All right. Also, you can go into it and it's very terrifying and bad. Don't do that if you can help it. Mm-hmm. Last but not least, Snowbird. Mm-hmm. Her real name is Naria, and mm-hmm. she is an Inuit demigoddess from Yellowknife. And she oh, can like transform it. into any animal as long as they are kind of animals of the north. All right. So it's kind of a cool, like a very thematic thing mm-hmm. that's going on that still lets her be very sort of Swiss army knife. Like, what do you need me to right. do? I can fly like the snow owl. I can. She's actually become a Wolverine before and kind of lost her mind and Wolverine had to talk her back. Wow. Yeah. So, so that's pretty great. Yeah. No, that's and a nice lineup. I like them I like when it. they've shown up. <laughs> yeah. No, they sound like fun. I like them. <laughs> they also uh, kind of have B and C teams that I won't go into um, mm-hmm. in detail, but they have sort of a deep bench. You can work your way up to Alpha Flight from Beta Flight and Gamma Flight. Mm-hmm. So this was never intended the first day that they showed up as Alpha Flight. It's mm-hmm. stuff that other people added, but wow. it's it's kind of cool. Like it shows what a government agency superhero team would actually look like as opposed to this, you know, hurly-burly hodgepodge of the Avengers where it's like, everybody's been an Avenger, you know? Right. (laughs) Maybe we should have a little control over that and give them some levels and stuff like that. So you have Beta Flight and Gamma Flight. Pretty fun. nice. I like it. It seems like Department H is mostly just Canadian S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. In the show and is more interested in a psych division, I guess, Mm -hmm. which is interesting because comic book-wise, S.H.I.E.L.D. actually has a psych division. Mm Mm-hmm. That apparently didn't make it to the MCU. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so very cool. Lots. Of, I that was a that was a very clever poll. I thought like they just said Department H wandered off just in case anybody ever wanted to mess around with uh, Alpha Flight or mm-hmm. God forbid they try and fold the X Men into the MCU. Wow. I'm not a fan of that. That's for another podcast. I think probably they won't do that because <laughs> doesn't Sony own the rights to uh, to X Men? There has recently been the go-ahead on the merger or the buyout or whatever. Uh, so I think they got that, Spider-Man back. Yeah. yeah well, uh, X-Men is Fox. Oh, it's Fox. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I think that there's talk, and I really don't want it mm-hmm. to happen. And like I said, that's kind of a rabbit trail that we'll deal with if we get to it. Yeah. But the short version is comic book X-Men always felt almost like their own separate universe from the mm-hmm. rest of the 616 anyway like their problems just didn't intersect as often as you would expect Mm -hmm. and it makes more sense for mutants to be persecuted if there aren't several dozen other people in colorful outfits with superpowers who aren't persecuted just because they happen to have gotten their powers from an accident right that's there's there's the short version all right. Well, you know, I'm not going to say anything about that because, you know, we've got Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to get through. So I'm just going to go ahead and move us into our production talk and we'll talk about these episodes. Um, we are doing Yes Men and the End of the Beginning. Yes Men aired on March 11th, 2014 and was written by Shalisha Francis, who wrote The Bridge. Uh, this is the last episode Francis will write for uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, this episode was directed by John Terleski, who will return to direct one more episode in season three. In this episode, 
episode, we get a visit from Lady Sif of Asgard, as we have discussed, played by Jamie Alexander, who plays the roles in the Thor films. Uh, we also see the return of Maximiliano Hernandez as Agent Jasper Sitwell. And I knew, Joshua, you would be really excited about that. I am, actually, because every time he's on screen, it's like drag Sitwell time. Uh, right. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good that's a good job for that guy. That's it's fine. Just, it's just kind of become a shtick now. We're just yeah. going to make fun of Sitwell at every I'm, opportunity. I'm here for it. I'm down. <laughs> All right. So, yes, men, of course, it's the story of Lorelai, who comes down to uh, Midgard, right, in order to take over you know to get a, a bunch of men and <laughs> right. apparently the path of destruction yeah and i gotta say like there's there's a lot in this idea that um that this woman just has magical powers over men and only men because men have a weakness that no one else shares you know which is or that women don't share which is something that sif says um yeah. which kind of i find to be an annoying premise um and for me like it would be one thing if she chose to use her powers on men because she wanted men mentally you know more powerful that kind of thing um but what it does is it sets up two things that I find really annoying. One, this like complete presumptive heteronormativity that it's women like men, men like women, and that's all you get, right? There are no shades of, of you know, Kinsey scale in there at all, right? Um, so that it is impossible for Lorelai to have this effect on women because women are stronger, because women are, um, you know, not attracted to her. That's the presumption. Um, you know, while at the same time we have incredible flirting between Sky and Simmons. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but this whole thing, this whole idea that men just can't help themselves, the little darlings, they're just too weak to be able to resist supernatural vagina. So I don't, the whole thing I find creaky and patriarchal and kind of going into a space that Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. usually doesn't have a problem you know, um, with kind of these presumptive gender spaces. That, right, uh, you have usually, a lot yeah. of very skilled women in this show. Right. Which lets us sidestep this a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this one just kind of smacks you right in the face with it. Yeah, it's um, it's really, it's bad. Like, it's honestly one of the clunkiest things that I've seen in Age of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, I'm a big fan of Age of S.H.I.E.L.D. I love it. Even the episodes that are less interesting, especially in this first part of the first season, I even find more interesting because I've, I've seen the whole thing and I know the whole context. And so, you know, for me, like, I really like this show and I think it's really good. And unlike a lot of the other shows I do, like when I talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, when I talk about Angel the Series and, and other things that I've done, um, I don't find myself having to slap the patriarchy quite as much in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. as I do in those shows. So to come here and have this this idea, first of all, that, um, you know, that men are inherently weak, that they cannot control themselves, that um, the, the uh, a woman's, you know, presence, a beautiful woman is just too much. And one thing, it sends the message that men are weaker, that men are lesser, that they cannot control themselves. It also kind of uh, promotes this, hey, boys will be boys. He can't help himself. He has no control around a vagina. And that kind of thing is insulting to everybody involved. Um, so a lot of this kind of... Uh, it's great on me. I would say this is my least 
favorite episode um, of the season, which is a shame because I love Lady Sif and it's so fun to see her. You know, she's so badass. She's great. I love the way that she connects with May because they are similar women. They're warriors, you know. Um, so I don't know. What did you think about that whole thing? I still come out of this really enjoying this episode overall because I mm-hmm. do like a lot of what it lets us do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you're right. We are walking around in a building with its foundations and bullshit. Yeah. It's not good. I, I mean, and it could have been, right? It like there are been. ways they could have approached this that would have been very interesting from a character dynamic standpoint. Yeah. Or a world building standpoint. Or even yeah. if they didn't want to make the episode all about our ongoing and more robust understanding of gender, sex, and sexuality. Yeah. They could have at least nodded at it so that we knew they were aware Exactly. None like, of that the, happens. The presumptive <laughs> heteronormativity here feels really regressive. And um and I mean there are things in it that I like. And despite myself, I kind of love Fitz under thrall. <laughs> you know, he's sure. so adorable. And he's like, Oh, we wouldn't want Lorelai's plan to go bad. Like he's so I don't know, there's just something incredibly sweet about, you know, Fitz under thrall. And then of course, you know, getting knocked out and Sky's like, Oh, poor thing. He keeps getting knocked out, doesn't he? <laughs> Which is I mean, kind but, of adorable. But that makes sense. Like, he is textually heterosexual, or at least, yes. at least he is textually attracted to women. Right, which is so fine. I'm, like, there's nothing yeah, wrong I get it. with He's these fine. characters being straight. But the presumption that only men have this particular weakness when it comes to women, regardless of who they are, like, it's just, it's bad. So it's that more annoys about me. attraction, right? Yeah. Or at least yeah. it should be. Right. Like anybody who would be attracted to Lorelai would fall under the sway. Now, if Lorelai only chose men, fine. Sure. But this textual presumption, men have a weakness that we do not share. Oh, please. You know, I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. that's bad. I'd rather hear that from Lorelai, right? Like right. that is her kind of super villain twisted view of the world that she has, you know, sort of hitched her wagon to and made her magic work on men. And that's like the story she tells or whatever. Right, her self-imposed narrative. That's totally fine. Yeah. You know, what I would have loved would be to see like Sky or Simmons fall under her sway. That would have been a really nice kind of interesting thing. Although we do have a huge presumptive heteronormativity in the ranks of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, which is, you know, not great. But um, but it's it would be really fun to kind of see them play with that a little bit. It would be fun to see them, um, you know, just kind of widen that a bit. I think it would have made this more enjoyable. But I mean, honestly, like even though I really hate that presumption and I'm very disappointed by finding it in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes. where we usually have such a great sense of, of gender capability, that capability is based on who people are as people, not who they are as gender, right? Um, so I do like that about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But, um, but you know, that kind of grated on me. But in, in the rest of it, I mean, you know, I kind of enjoyed it. I enjoyed the fact that Coulson, you know, did not fall under her sway. I mean, I, he didn't get the opportunity. He didn't bump into her. But, I mean, like, he was clear, you know. Right. But he uses it, too, in such a yeah. clever way. Yeah. That's You know, when great. he pretends to be under her sway with Fitz, you know, um, that's really <laughs> well, he sweet. Stumbles. He stumbles, but just recovers. And I feel like if he'd stumbled like that with Ward, it might have been a problem. But it's fixed. Oh, right. Like, <laughs> but it's fixed. Like it's a good, it's a good bit that doesn't yeah. break anybody's character to make it right. work. Mm-hmm. I yeah, it, that is excellent. Yeah. No, it's it's really really sweet, and I love when he comes in on Sky and Simmons, and, and Simmons is about ready to hit him in the head yes! with the oxygen tank. <laughs> 
they're so ready. They've already figured it out. The ladies yeah. have already figured it out. They are ready sure. to deal with it. It's just, yeah. I mean, I think that's the that's the worst part. Before we move on, the worst part is that so much of this works, and the part that doesn't work is are things that would have actually made the whole concept more interesting. Yeah. And mm-hmm. a little bit of dialogue would have done it. A little bit of dialogue would have done it. You know, it's just that we we have this this episode has more. It's more of a foundational problem than it is a problem in the storytelling and yes. the escalating and that, you know, um, and it just it kind of gives this sort of creaky flatness to the to the world in which these people exist that that usually we don't have. And so it was kind of a disappointment for me. Um, with that but it's it's really fun to see Sif you know and I love her with May you know they have this interaction Um, Sif is telling the story of how Lorelai you know stole the man that she loved which I am now you know saying is is Thor that it was Thor I wasn't sure if that was sexual but I I think we can I think we can go with it (laughs) yeah Lorelai put him under a sway and then what I love is that you know we see we've got this whole thing with May and Ward you know, which is whatever. And um, and Sif starts talking about Ward and she picks up on some energy from May and she says, you know, you're Agent Ward. And, uh, and May goes, he's not mine. And then, you know, Sif says, whatever, you need to be able to do what must be done. And, you know, if he tries to kill you and May's like, he won't. And she's like, don't, you know, don't think that you know this man. You don't know him when he's under the sway. And May's yeah. like, no, I mean, he can try. Like, yes. I love that in May. Yes. <laughs> now, May gets a lot of time to shine in this episode. Yes. I think you and I have one bit where we will argue. Yes. Mm-hmm. You feel that Lorelai trying to make May jealous is ridiculous, whereas I feel that landed a little bit. I don't, I don't know. She I think has that May, a sad moment. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I think that May was having sex with Ward and that was it. And here's the thing. Here's why I like that. And here's why I cling to that. Because we have a presumption in our storytelling that a woman cannot have sex without love or without having feelings. The Oxycontin takes over and she wants babies, you know. And <laughs> this is something that we do with women almost every time like we if a woman has sex without love then she is slut shamed right so here we have may who has had this um has this relationship with ward that was just about sex she told you know phil colson about it she shared that with him um she's not you know sentimental about it when they you know when they t- when she when she thought that he had been defending her in a previous episode she's like don't pull that shit right mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. throughout the whole thing she has been like removed from it you know and yes. i have really enjoyed that that she hasn't been all like oh ward i have to make the googly eyes at you but mama i love him like it's never been anything like that may was like we have sex that's great it's like playing tennis it's like working out move on this is not a big deal so for me i think i can see where you see her being affected by that affected by the fact that he told Lorelai that he was having sex with May but said he was in love with somebody else which is obviously Sky right gross um Lorelai throws that at at May and you know and May is supposed to be so offended by it you know and then in the end when they're in the the plane together you know he tries talking to her and she says I told you that wasn't going to be a problem with me like I want to take May textually at her word 
because I want to see that. I want to see a relationship where a woman has sex for sex's sake, where she doesn't get emotionally attached and, oh, my God, I love him, where the Oxycontin and the I must have babies isn't happening, which at her age wouldn't be. She's like, you know, 50 at this point. So, I mean, like May has passed that anyway. Um, but there, a woman can have sex and not want to make a life, make a home, make it about babies and also still you know, with that, maintain a dignity, um, not slut shamed, like none of that, that she can have sex without love and not be slut shamed. So for me, that's what I want to see here, because I've never seen it anywhere else. And I doubt I'm going to see it anywhere else anytime soon. So for me, I'm like, no, May doesn't care. I can see where you make the argument. I think you get a couple of shots and a couple of expressions from her that textually could be read in that way. But I don't care. I like the flat text of it rather than the than some of the other stuff that we get. For what it's worth, I wish they hadn't put those looks and beats in there because I agree with you. Yeah. And I think it makes more consistent sense for May mm-hmm. to be unaffected by that. Yeah. Like if it yeah, had been I a quizzical look. Eyes, you know? Yeah. You know, where she's like, wait, who is it then? Not that she cares, but just that she thought it was her, you know? Right, right. That's more interesting and consistent and I wish that that's what they had done instead of this kind of like, oh, no. Just We get a couple of looks, but yeah. I ignore them because I, I, no, I, I don't want them. I just I, want one. It is a just fair response. One. Just give me one woman who has sex without love and without like emotional involvement and is not slut shamed. That's all I want. I certainly hope I, I never have to bring it up again. <laughs> So anyway, I agree but I see you. I see your argument though. I definitely see your argument. I I see the looks. I know they're there. I just choose to <laughs> read them differently. Head canon accepted. Head canon done. So uh, <laughs> so that's not that much of an argument. But let's talk a little bit about Sky and Simmons, right? Because here we have again, you know, Agents of Shield. One of the things about Agents of Shield, hugely heteronormative. I mean, hugely heteronormative, and that's one of the downsides of it. But Sky and Simmons, I mean. It's a little flirty. Am I the only one picking up on that? I wonder who did who wrote this episode. Let me scroll back up here and see. Was it Shalisha a woman who Francis. wrote this? Yes, okay. it was a woman who wrote it. Mm-hmm. If it was a man writing it, I would have been like, "This is a guy who just does not know how women talk to one another." Right. But since it's a woman who wrote it, I think it's supposed to be flirty. I think it is. I, I think, think it's that to be this flirty. show is so comfortable. Floating these romance balloons. Yes. Just uh-huh. to see if they stick. And most of the time, they are god-awful. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't like any of them so far, except for this one. I'm kind of here for this one. I, I would have liked it, except I already ship Fitz and Simmons. So, like, if I didn't already have somebody for Simmons that I really wanted, like, that I deeply, deeply shipped... I would have been on this boat, I got to say. I mean, I think it's adorable. They're really cute together. I mean, God knows that Simmons is like would speak so much better to Skye's taste than Ward, you know? Yeah. Um, So there's there's so much like I but I thought it was really it was kind of sweet. It was kind of fun. It was kind of flirty. We've seen them work together in the past. You know, we when when, you know, Simmons shot Jasper Sitwell, which I know is one of your high points from the season. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, Just like they're they're really. Really, they're a fun pairing and I like them and they're they're good friends and and we saw you know how Simmons was was really upset when of course when Sky was shot and when she was talking about how we're so different we're completely different but we still you know have this connection and and so we're seeing the development of this relationship and you know if if it wasn't for Fitz 
I would be all over this ship. <laughs> now, look, we can have the best of all possible worlds, although clearly Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. does not have the guts for this. Yeah. And just let the three of them be polyamorous. That would have been awesome. How that amazing would, well, would that yeah. be? And it makes so much sense, really. Yeah, no, it could. It could really work. But unfortunately, that's not, you know, that's not no. where we're going. We're, no, we're extremely, no. extremely traditional and heteronormative on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But there's but the stuff that they do is usually pretty good. So I I live with it. But um, but it would be nice to have a little bit like one character, you know, or two so that we can pair them up <laughs> that, are, that are gay or lesbian or bi or whatever, right? You know, just to have, to bring more normalization of the spectrum of gender identity, of, you know, sexual orientation, all that kind of stuff. It would be really nice to, to normalize that within this space. Um, but because they do so many other things that I really do love and I really do appreciate and I love the way we treat women, we do have a fair amount of diversity on the show, which is only going to get better as we move forward. Um, it's it's really nice. So I'm, I'm accepting it. I you think know? <laughs> we notice it more so in this episode. Yeah. Because of the way because... that Lorelai's power works. Yes. You know, that it would actually be it interesting. light. Mm-hmm. If Sky and Simmons were like, we kind of want to do what she says. like, <laughs> Right. No, that would have been awesome. We're not doing it, but we kind of want to. Like, I kind of want to, you know, or having one of them fall under her sway. Like, you know, why can't a woman fall under? I mean, it's just the the men are weak. The poor babies, the poor darlings. They can't control anything that they do. That whole thing is just a something. It's a very tired cultural presumption luck. for yeah, me. It's, not um, it's it's really bad. It minimizes everyone involved, and it makes men um, like basically not responsible for their actions. Right? They're not responsible because a yeah. vagina was in there. A vagina was in the room. Obviously, he can't control himself. He saw a bra strap. She must be raped. Like, come on, you know. Um, so this idea, this cultural idea that we have that men are are weak animals who cannot, you know, who cannot control themselves is is a really dangerous thing that we have in our societal presumptions. And to have it kind of textualized here felt um, felt really regressive. But yeah, that yeah. said. You know, I mean, it was kind of fun. It was fun. I to like the Sky and Simmons stuff. It's like the Sky and Simmons stuff was really fun. I guess I I'll love put them. up with the rest yeah. of this to get a little Sky and Simmons flirtation. To get a little, I believe, I believe the portmanteau is Skimmins. Um, my oh, of course, is this that. is a thing. Of course, it's a thing. It's because it there. should be. So. It's out there. Yeah. Um, so that's really fun. You know, um, had a good time with that. Uh, also, I don't know if you picked up on this as long as we're in this kind of like, you know, Kinsey scale spectrum space. Right. Sitwell was kind of hitting on Coulson. Did you see that? I think you're right. <laughs> like, I mean, I, OK, <laughs> I do not know if that's how they meant for us to read it, but it is difficult for me to not read it that way. I know. Let me read the text to you. This is what Sitwell actually says to Coulson. You know, usually when a friend wants a favor, they do something nice. Takes me to a nice restaurant. Buys me a bottle of wine. Um, that is an invitation. I would think so. Yes. Yes. I think I think we've got some subtextual stuff going on here, which is kind of interesting. So I really liked that. I thought that was fun. I was like, not only... I, in my head, Canon now Sitwell's gay, which thank you. I mean, maybe it's sure. not textual, but getting us a gay character somewhere in there, that would be great, you know. Um, but also that he's not only gay, but he's bold, man. I mean, that's yeah. Coulson. Like, Coulson's a big deal, you know. 
He's so, also um, bold like in that. that he's seeing, like he's seeing if there's any response there. Like he doesn't yeah. know for sure because why would agents of Shield know anything about one another's personal lives generally? Exactly. Right? Yes. So he's mm-hmm. there's no other way for him to know other than to kind of go for it and see what happens. This is right. more gumption than we've seen from Jasper Sitwell. Or that we ever will see from Jasper Sitwell. I know, but it was it was nice. It made me really kind of enjoy having Sitwell there. Um, and you know, Sitwell was in Thor. He was in New Mexico when the hammer came down. You know, I mean, like he was there. He was fought by Coulson's side. You know, they they work together on that. And you know, people who work well together. Now we know nice how Sitwell's story goes, so I don't want to push this too far. But it would have been right. a really interesting little bit of shipping fanfic to have, like the the sit well fighting next to Coulson and they fall a little bit in love. And then Lorelai tells them to do a thing. And they're like, we're not really into that. Right. Like- <laughs> you know, and just give us a little more diversity in this space would have been really, really nice. Um, I love Fitz's enthusiasm about the upgraded night, night guns, which he has renamed to Icers. <laughs> so that makes me sad. Yeah. Because Icers is too cool. Like, Icers uh-huh. is the kind of thing that a room full of writers who are trying to make things sound awesome would come up with. Night Night Gun sounds like something Fitz would actually call it. So, Well, yeah. The Night Night Gun, here, to me, I like it. And here's why. First of all, I don't think Icers is that cool. I think it does sound like the kind of thing that people who are trying to be cool will name something. Right. You know? Right. So, I mean, it has that that feeling of, uh, like, a, an attachment of effort to it that, that <laughs> feels a little bit a little bit pushy. Um, but also, I like it because we're seeing an evolution in Fitz. Like, Fitz, in the first part of season one, absolutely would have named it Night Night Gun, but he is evolving along with the tech that he's making. Okay. So I see it kind of representing a shift in him because in the beginning, right, he was fighting for Night Night Gun. Yeah. And and Simmons was like, we're not calling it that, right? And now he's moved into calling them ICERs. And I think also um, it sort of has that when I think of it this way, like I used to work at a computer company where every time we had a new version of a piece of software, we'd give it uh, like a code name. So if you were talking about it in public, nobody would overhear, you know. So like, you know, QuickBooks 5 was called Van Gogh, you know, that kind of thing. And so I feel like, you know, we have, it's almost like having a code name for the various evolutions of the gun that you can't call it the night night gun because it has evolved. It is now something else. And so we're shifting the identity of the project itself um, into a new space. So, I mean, that's, uh, that is way more thought than the one line and the one moment in it, like, you know, really deserves, but that's how I thought of it. The worst part of that whole (laughs) little mini scene there is that. They just turned the Night Night Gun into icers that would have been really nice to have an episode ago when we weren't murdering perfectly fine people. Oh, yeah. Let's go ahead and mention that, shall we? Oh, sure. Because I got some (laughs) Um, feelings about this. Right. Uh, Where Coulson is talking to Simmons when he discovers that she's trying to find out what this, you know, GH-325 is and and resolve that mystery. And he says, two men laid down their lives in a compound rigged with explosives to keep this drug hidden. Okay, A, hidden from you. B, you killed them. So, um, don't don't you dare say lay down their lives. You took their lives, you monster. Right. I murdered. The The correct way to rephrase this is I murdered two men in a yeah. compound rigged with explosives to keep yes. this drug hidden. <laughs> I mean, 
Yeah, that felt a little weird. And if one episode later we're going to make icers, just move it back one. Just right. Because these were guys who were just doing their jobs. I mean, it's just Coulson. And the thing is, like Coulson, when he gets on a track, I mean, really, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And and it breaks my heart to say this because I love Clark Gregg and I love Coulson. But you don't have to shift your perspective by a lot to make it like the story of one man's descent into madness. I mean, that's Coulson, <laughs> right? You are not wrong. Right. And it's kind of heartbreaking because I love him so much. Like, and I, but this is the thing. And this is the thing that I do. And I know I do it. And anybody who listens to any of my other podcasts know I do it. When I love a character, right? I will see the good in that character and everything they do that's bad. I'll just be like, what? What are you talking about? I don't even know. Like, you know, and I've done this with um, Xander and Buffy and I've yeah. done this with Wesley and Angel and I do it with Coulson. So you're going to have to keep me honest because honestly, like I if you hadn't complained about it, I wouldn't have noticed it. How bad it was. It's it's <laughs> pretty rough. So right. I mean, yeah, I came here ready for S.H.I.E.L.D. to be the bad guys because they had kind of already been the bad guys as far as I was concerned before right. Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. they're not great. Nick Fury's not yeah. a good guy. Yeah. And anyway, anyway. But yeah, it's just, don't you dare move that ball the two men laid down their lives. Well, you held them down and took their lives. Right. And then like, dropped a mountain on them. I just... Yeah. Mm, no. No, it's no. not good. It's really not good. So, um, and that's something that we are textually just ignoring. We're not, you know, we're not, we are reframing reality against what, what we actually saw happen. Yes. And that is a little gaslighty, um, which makes me feel like one of the, one of the concepts that I use in Buffy when talking about Xander is this idea of light Xander and shadow Xander, right? And it may not be a coincidence, I have to say, both shows written by Joss Whedon, who uh, has been has been known to be a bit problematic about some, some the way that he sees some of especially these male characters. Um, but it's it's this thing where Xander does terrible things that are not textually acknowledged that we look at it and we say, oh, how cute, you know, but yeah. they're, they're truly like textually bad things. And then we ignore them. And that's kind of shadow Xander. That's the the dark side of Xander that because it seems at the writer level, we're not acknowledging that what he's doing is bad. Then we can't textually acknowledge it within the show itself. And it becomes sort of this, uh, this shadow of terroir, which is a concept that I don't know if I've explained it here, um, where like, you know, grapes are, are planted planted in a ground you make the wine from them and the the flavors of whatever was in the ground that they were planted then goes into the wine that comes from that's a concept called terroir and I use that when I talk about um, stories because whatever is planted in the ground uh, from from which the the culture from which this story comes there are going to be certain presumptions certain premises that we don't reject right that we don't know enough to reject because we presume that they are um, absolutely the right way that like everybody's everybody's heterosexual that's just heteronormative that's just the way it is right and if you don't think enough to reject the premise then it ends up getting into your story right Mm -hmm. so all of this like long big explanation to say that here we have Coulson and I think we have possibly some of that here like his his behavior that we see happening is not good you know, putting people on the index, uh, killing these guys, getting getting really single-minded. Everything is about whatever it is that he wants, not necessarily what is best for the bigger picture, which is what S.H.I.E.L.D. is supposed to be all about, right? So um, we have... 
Is Isn't it though? It? <laughs> well, okay. It's, it's what Shield claims to be all. About. Okay, there we go. Okay, just right? making sure we're on the same page. <laughs> no, I'm I'm with you. Like, I, it's what Shield is is states itself to be all about. That's the Shield narrative is we are here to be the Shield, the last thing that protects everybody, right? Um, except that it's not about everybody. It's about whatever it is that Coulson wants to do, whatever personal thing Coulson wants to resolve, right? Um, so we have, I think, kind of a Shadow Coulson situation here where uh, we are having him absolutely clearly behaving in ways that are, that are not okay, um, highly questionable, and yet we fail to question them. So I don't know. Do you see a Shadow Coulson here? Or do you think that textually we're supposed to think it's awful? Lonnie, I believe that we have seen up till this point 75% Shadow Coulson. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. in the show. we It's really interesting. You and Noel kind of came to that Shadow Xander thing after we had kind of gotten into the Coulson shield discussion. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting to bring it up now because mm-hmm. the funny thing about Shadow Xander is that, it, I mean, maybe it's 50-50, but it's probably more like 60-40 in favor of Light Xander. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I really feel like we're about 80-20 in favor of <laughs> Shadow Coulson. Shadow Coulson, I think maybe, you is, know, but because it's not... But we never not... deal with it, ever. Right, you know? right. Because it's not textually acknowledged. Because it's one thing when you're doing a dark turn for a character, right? right? You know, like you have a character who goes dark and we know that they are going dark and we watch that process and it's textually acknowledged. When somebody behaves in a dark way and it's never textually acknowledged, then what you're saying is there's no consequences for it, that it's good behavior, Mm -hmm. that it is implicitly given a stamp of approval and the writers are co-signing on that behavior as saying that's okay, right? That's what happens in storytelling. The the good end well and the bad end badly and there's justice, right? Storytelling, a huge part of fiction is about emotional justice, that when people behave badly, they are punished for it, except in these circumstances. So I find this a really interesting question. Um, And again, anybody who's interested in hearing that discussion about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, there's a podcast that I do called Still Pretty. We have a lot of those discussions over there. Uh, Really, really fun. Lots of fun talking about Buffy. Completely spoiled all the way through, even though we're in the beginning of season one. We talk about everything, um, you know, within the context of Buffy. So you'll have to be spoiled to go there. But there's a lot of this kind of discussion going on. Um, So I don't know. Coulson, I think, is we're getting a lot of shadow. Um, we're getting co-signing on the shadow behavior. That is a little bit alarming. And I would like to say that it calms down, but because of my tendency to only see what I want to see in the characters that I love, I'm going to have to wait until I walk through it with you. I am (laughs) excited to see what happens to Coulson, whether it's textual or what we bring to it after the Winter Soldier turn. That actually is going to be really fun. And this, the Winter Soldier is the turning point. The Winter Soldier is the turning point in season one where we start doing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where it really gets to be, you know, what it's going to be. So I'm very excited to bring you there because I just have this, I want you to love this show as much as I do. (laughs) Hey, I got to tell you, these two episodes take big steps. Moving you along those lines. In that direction. Yes. (laughs) But nevertheless, Um, I've kind of got my eye on the ball of the stuff that still bothers me. And you've kind of, You've got it with Coulson. Like I, if now I don't want you to tell me and it's very soon, but I mean, after Mm -hmm. the winter soldier turn, if he's like, oh, wow, literally everything is a lie and I'm going to be different and I regret everything. 
mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, I, I now have sort of enough textual justification to take you as a different person. But mm-hmm. anyway, we'll see. I'm excited to find out. <laughs> we'll see what happens when we get there. Absolutely. Um, some other things I loved in this episode. Um, I love that after Ward is back, May punches him in the face again. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> Which I'm is nice because she's... <laughs> holding him responsible she's not like oh hey there was a vagina in the room obviously you couldn't help yourself she's like pow right in the kisser so i like that <laughs> that was nice and it's always fun to see ward get smacked in the i face. am 100 percent here every time ward is punched in the face especially by a teammate yes absolutely um i also like this moment with colson and sky right when he's talking to her about where the drug came from that saved her and he's telling her the truth and she says i'm sorry to say this sir but so what we're alive right yeah and he's like you know i know nothing phases you this should phase you we're in the dark and she goes that's where we live and this i gotta say I like Sky. This is the point where I, Sky really starts to work for me. And I don't know if, if you've had that experience yet, if we've gotten there yet with you. Um, but I like that she is, whatever happens, whatever it is that she's faced with, she finds a way to put it in a context where she can work with it. You know, she doesn't resist. She doesn't, you know, like get all freaked out and like all this kind of stuff. She's like, okay, this is what it is. We're alive. So, all right, let's, we'll see what happens. It should be fine. And we live in the dark, you know? I kind of liked that about her. I thought it showed a real strength of character. How are you feeling about Sky? I am having complicated feelings about Sky. Okay. Which is new because my uncomplicated she sucks feelings. <laughs> I stand by them, but they weren't super interesting to chat about. <laughs> right, right. But now I have kind of a complicated space where I agree that this feels like a a character strengthening turn, mm-hmm. right? Like she's coming into her own. Um, I mean, we'll see that more fully in the next episode, especially. And the, the complicated part comes in that I feel like she is abandoning all of the mm-hmm. principles that were supposed to make me interested in her before now. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, those we've been over it. Those were never articulated well. Mm-hmm they were supposed to be the thing that we liked, but they never put any effort into it. And maybe now we're seeing why, because she was going to like shed that self. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. since I really like those principles. Right. And that's what I wanted from her. I I do kind of like the way that she's gelling with the team and the place that she's stepping into. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, she's unbecoming the person that I, or at least the person they were suggesting she, she was before this. She's losing the only thing you liked about her. Exactly. So I like the chemistry and I like what's going on with her, but I don't want to lose the part of her that I thought was the actual interesting part. Yeah, that's, I mean, no no spoilers, that's done. But the new sky, (laughs) but the new sky, because that was- Right, exactly. That was those principles were the only interesting thing about the old sky and they lost that, but they also lost all of the crap stuff too. So it's like they jettisoned everything and now we get our new sky and I like this sky. This is the sky I can get behind. I'm, so I'm, kind of okay. I'm enjoying her a lot more. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of okay with turning this like you mentioned it would just to turn your head a little bit and it's Colson's descent into madness. Yes. I'm also kind of fine if it's like sky's descent into darkness and awfulness. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, yeah. so you've allowed the darkness in your soul. Super cool. What could go wrong? 
you know. Right. Well, that's, yeah, again, like, you know, I, I don't think I can spoil things that don't happen. That's not where we're going with Sky. Um, but that is an interesting place. And I love a dark arc. I love when they take a character on a dark arc. That's always fun. Um, but it may that's be a not, dark arc just... whether they want it to be or not, Lonnie. Exactly. <laughs> right. True. <laughs> But um, but I think that like I like what they're doing with Sky. I like the Sky that we're getting now. I enjoy her a lot more. She's a lot more interesting to yes. me, and so I can release even the stuff I would have liked had they done it correctly with her in the beginning because it's just all jettisoned. Yeah, I definitely you know, just like it better now. that I'm not just tripping over her constantly. Yeah, I, I yeah. no, she's. I'm better. with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's 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 pretty good. So that's Yes Men, which I think is a, is an okay episode. I mean, it's it's got foundational issues, definitely, um, but we had some fun, and there's some subtextual, you know, um, um, you know, uh, homosexual flirting in there, which I really like. And thank you for at least, you know, if you're not going to textually give me any variety at all in uh, romantic pairings, at least at least there's a little something to kind of be interesting and be a little fun. Um, but that brings us into the next episode, end of the beginning, and. At the beginning aired on April 1st, 2014. It was written by Paul Zbzewski, who wrote The Magical Place and Fzzch, which we will remember as one of the best episodes in the, in the early parts of the season. Um, this episode was directed by Bobby Roth, who also directed The Hub and Tahiti. Um, in this episode, we get more Mike Peterson, um, a.k.a. Deathlock, played by J. August Richards, who, of course, I love. Uh, we get the return of Saffron Burroughs as Victoria Hand, Bill Paxton as John Garrett, and B.J. Britt as Antoine Triplett, and I love love all of them so uh, well actually i love i love bj Britt the most garrett's That's okay hand fair. is is hand is kind of fun to see because i know her from a movie that i love but but as a character she's not that interesting to me um and I, we get she'd ble- be more interesting if they played her harder as sort of the opposite number to colson yeah like if i felt I better about colson being that. my good guy mm-hmm. she would be a really great dark colson yeah, Unfortunately, if was, but Coulson's already dark. We have dark so, Coulson, so she's right. just like, I don't know, black hole pitch darkness Coulson. I don't know. Exactly. So, yeah. I don't, I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if she feels a little flat to me and I kind of would like to see more with that character. Um, we also get more Jasper Sitwell, which I know sits well in your heart. And um, Brad Dorif as the um, Thomas Nash, the uh, the clairvoyant, mm-hmm. supposed clairvoyant. Um, and people who don't recognize him, uh, he was Wormtongue in Lord of the Rings. And he's also a fantastic character actor who you see around doing loads of stuff. And I was kind of surprised to see somebody of his level doing something that was fairly um not terribly involved oh, although he did like he do, his to do own everything voice with your work. eyes had to do everything with yeah. his eyes he did his own voice work even though it was like it was you know coded as computerized right you could right. you could get the inflection you could get the what he was doing and he made it really nice and creepy so that was actually there was a lot of really hard stuff going in there but i was kind of surprised because it was such a small you know it was just one and maybe that's it it's a day's work you know so right. i'll go and do it you know and that's the thing about character actors is that they they are working actors like they take the work you know and they do mm-hmm. it which is really cool um so that was really fun um and this is the episode i think this is the turning point episode then we get the events of the winter soldier which we're going to talk about in next times uh, the next episode of um listen up a-holes um and then we get the real shift into what agents of shield will actually be mm-hmm. which unfortunately happens after it lost all of its audience but <laughs> you know whatever it's still and who it's can still blame really them i'm just yeah. saying 
Yeah, I know. I know, but it's good. It's really good. It's worth it. No, this is the place <laughs> that everybody told me to skip to, and I just yeah. had a thing where I just couldn't do it, where it was like, I don't want to forgive three quarters right. of the first season right. to get to the, mm-hmm. like, it just offended me. But here we are. I'm doing it professionally, yeah. and it's all working out. All right. I think it'll be worth it in the end. <laughs> I'm feeling I'm feeling really good. Um, all right. So here we have like everybody's coming together. We're getting the band back together. Victoria Hand is here. Garrett is here. Triplets here. You know, we've got everybody pulled together. We got Agent Blake, you know, um, and uh, and they're all here to take out this clairvoyant. And one of the first things we see is Blake saying, Colson, you know, shield stance on psychics. They don't exist. And I'm just like, R-U-S's? I don't believe they exist, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just up. quietly renewing my this. objection that that's really stupid. Okay, now I'm done. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, and then at the end, after he gets shot, right, Han says, bet the clairvoyant didn't see that coming. And I was like, you know what we need? We need the sunglasses that and the, yeah. the law and order, boom, boom, like mm-hmm. at the end, you know? <laughs> because that is such a law and order line. You Quick, know? whip your sunglasses off, Victoria, and have a exactly. car explode behind you or something. <laughs> Exactly. Um, But, you know, we have this clairvoyant. We have all of this activity going on in this episode where, you know, we were looking for the clairvoyant. You know, we see that, uh, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. is that Mike Peterson is getting the warning that that S.H.I.E.L.D. is is coming after him, that he's got to go, you know, defend him. Um, You know, we find out it's Thomas Nash. Then Ward shoots Thomas Nash. Then then maybe there is no clairvoyant. We don't know. You know, all this kind of stuff, all this flipping around about what this is and, and what's happening in this mystery and I know of course everything because I've watched this a number of times how did you feel about the 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 constant flipping back and forth of what what the base reality was here yeah I know this is what your spy show should do damn it yeah (laughs) all right so you liked it yeah yes I mean this is this is good like this is why we should have heard the clairvoyant name set Mm -hmm. up way earlier and just I mean yeah, I just want, I mean, make this, this the strike force that's going after the clairvoyant. I don't know. But I mean, yeah. the fact that we worked all of this time, or at least part of all of this time, getting up mm-hmm. to this, and then it's like, it's this guy. Maybe it's this guy. And actual, like, getting closer to it brought up facts or things that changed the perspective. It wasn't just somebody running in and being like, I accidentally typed the right search string in. Right. You know, like it's actual plot stuff. It's earned. Is great. Yes. Every turn is earned. And that's the thing that I really like about it. You know, Um, I like that uh, Coulson like saying, wait, how do we even know he's the clairvoyant? We just heard the computer talking. We don't know that that was him. You yeah. know, um, I like Colson having that kind of insight and being like, I'm worried that we didn't get the right guy, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then we've got all of this, like this long line of betrayals, you know, within this story we have, like we saw May at the end of the previous episode, getting caught with her, um, you know, with her private line. We yes. see her, you know, calling and making a, a report on a private line, which makes her suspect to us but it's dramatic irony because we know it but nobody else knows it right um and then in this episode she's getting caught right um and it's fits like fits oh god i love fits i love the way that he is so invested in the team that 
the idea of someone betraying him or betraying the team is so hard for him to accept. And when he sees this with May, you know, he awkwardly runs out and like makes excuses and he's, he's completely shaken up. He goes and he talks to Sky and he's like, why would May need this dedicated line? This whole thing, right? He is so completely shook by that. And that is not business. That's personal. Mm-hmm. Like he takes everything with this group personally and I love I love the way that Ian DeCasker played it I thought it was wonderful and vulnerable and rich and it really brought back all of this stuff that's happening in this you know spy thriller who's the real betrayer is it Ward is it May you know all this kind of stuff and makes it so personal you know which is what what that stuff needs and I thought that anchored it really nicely so how did you feel about all of that I love all of it for exactly those Mm -hmm. reasons I also love that Fitz discovered this by being up to no good himself. I know. Now, we never deal with that. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of fine for Fitz. He doesn't think that he's betraying anybody. And also, have you noticed he's like bad girl shenanigans adjacent now? He is absolutely bad girl shenanigans. And Simmons is, is up front bad girl shenanigans. Right. She is Oh, Sky's a team player now? Up. Well, guess who's in yep. charge of bad girl shenanigans? It just shifted over to Simmons. Yeah. No, Simmons is great. And when she's, you know, over in the hub, you know, and we have this thing, too, where uh, where Fitz is asking Simmons, you know, why are you so excited about going to the hub? And then he's like, oh, I know it's because you're going to they've got better laboratory equipment there. And then we see Triplet come in and she's supposed to be flirting with him or whatever. I never see her like I see him liking her. But I don't see her really liking him. But it's kind of a, a funny little play that they've got going on there where, where Fitz is like, oh, it's about the science. And when we see Triplet show up, we're like, no, it's about Triplet. Well, <laughs> it's about the science and Triplet. And maybe a little bit Triplet. Yeah. But yeah, I do think that it is genuinely about the science. But it's it's fun because it is um, that's what gets Simmons up in the morning. Like it's the science, Mm -hmm. it's the work. I love the way she gets so excited about every discovery that they make whenever they come up with something, her face lights up. It's so fantastic. And I love that. I mean, I love like, you know, we talk about relationships and love stories and people who work well together and all that kind of stuff. But one of my favorite love stories is the love story between a woman and her work. Yeah. Like I love, and I don't know why it particularly um, delights me when it's a woman and her work versus a man and his work, because I like, it with men too. I like it with fits, you know. I think possibly because uh, you know, feminine representation has so tr- traditionally been all about whoever the love interest is first, mm-hmm. as opposed to what it is that she does and who she is as a person. We see that so much that when we see, you know, a woman who is excited, more excited about her work than she is about whoever she's sleeping with or whoever she's romantically aligned yeah. with. I love that. That always delights me because it's something that I, I really like to see i think a lot of times from the male perspective also it's not that they love their job it's like they're obsessed with it or right like overworking themselves or it's always um not always but far too often the majority of the time it's always about the striving like the getting ahead the winning something the achievement right as opposed to loving the thing for the thing itself right and we do get that with fitz we do i mean it's worth saying we do get that with fitz simmons is more obvious or overt and that's possibly Mm -hmm. because they're letting her be because she's a girl she's a woman right Mm -hmm. but we but so it's worth saying we do also get that from Fitz but I think broadly that's why it is it's always this striving this winning whereas Mm -hmm. we let a woman who is engaging 
her work. Right. Approach it in a loving manner, in just a delight. This just delights me, you know. Exactly. And that's one of the things, too. I love that about Fitz, that the science delights him, too. And I do love seeing that. And I think that that's exactly why. Because when we see men invested in their work, it is about achievement. It's almost an aggressive thing. But it's one of those things, too, that, like, you know, one of the sources of vulnerability, as I talk about when I talk about narrative theory, is that, um, you know, there are a number of sources of vulnerability. And the, the major ones are fear, identity, love, and shame, right? So here we have vulnerability through love, that if you genuinely are excited and you care about things, that is a source of vulnerability. And men, I think both culturally and in our fiction, have been encouraged to not show that excitement and enthusiasm, right? Or if they do, they're relegated. Like our heroes don't do that. It's our sidekicks who do that. It's Topher from Dollhouse that does that. You know, the one that nobody's sleeping with, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. so I like seeing that enthusiasm in men too. And when I see that enthusiasm, I love it, I think, in both places. But you're right, we don't see that in men, I think, even as often maybe as we see the enthusiasm for the work in women. Yeah, we get it very rarely with ladies, yeah. mostly because mm-hmm. ladies aren't in that position right. in our mm-hmm. fiction. But yeah, we mm-hmm. get it even rarer with men because we're not allowed. Right. Genuine but it's delight, delightful. not manly, yeah. which is it's, stupid. It's, <laughs> but I love it when we see it. I love that delight from Fitz. I love it from Simmons. And it's one of my favorite things about both of them. You know, independently of any romance they might have together, um, who they are as as individuals, as people and as scientists, um, that's one of my favorite things about the whole show. Yeah, I agree. They're they're wonderful. Mm-hmm. They've been my favorite. Well, they were my only at the beginning, yes. you know. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I just continue to appreciate all of the Fitzsimmons business. It is. It's really fun. I love seeing them together. Um, we also get kind of a real sweet thing with Skye mm-hmm. when she is made a full agent, right? Um, they give her the the badge. You know, Coulson's there. Ward is there. But then May comes in. And I don't – it's so it's so – off to the side, you can almost forget it. May brings uh, Simmons and Fitz, you know, with her. Yeah. But we see May with this broad smile. You almost never see her smile, right? right? She's yes. got this broad, proud mama smile. Um, she is delighted that Sky is becoming an agent. And it is so out of character and yet really lovely. And we don't spend much time. It's like really in the background of the shot, you see May's response. She's so happy. And she brings them and says, you know, I wanted to to have them see this, you know. Um, it was really nice. It was. It was. I feel like it might be undermined a little bit by the fact that we've discovered May as a traitor in the previous yeah. episode. Yeah. I mean, bit. I don't want it to be. I just feel it mm-hmm. incumbent upon me to point out. <laughs> Right. That the first time we get real genuine affection from May is also right shortly after we've discovered she's screwing everybody over. There's a there's a sketchy thing happening. Well, we don't know exactly what she's doing yet. Oh, sure. But know that I know how I'm supposed to read it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You're supposed to be very, very suspicious of May at this point. And so then to finally see her show genuine emotion and affection 
only to have it kind of undermined by the fact that there's something shady going on with with May. Yeah, that's a little bit. It's a little bit, um, you know, disappointing. But it was really fun, you know, for me to uh, to see that element in her. Um, so I thought that that was really nice. And uh, we also do like we were just talking about how like the bad girl shenanigans have shifted over from Sky to Simmons, mm-hmm. and we even have Simmons textually acknowledge that when she's talking to Sky, and she's like, "So you're saying we should obey the rules?" You know? Yeah. Which is really kind of adorable. And so we are getting like a textual shift. The bad girl shenanigans are moving over to Fitz and Simmons. And you've actually convinced me that that's a little more organic for Sky, yeah. or at least mm-hmm. that I need to get over it if it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I am really glad that they hung a lampshade on it in this episode. Yeah. And I'm especially glad Simmons is the one that did it. <laughs> yes. I'm glad Simmons is picking up the bad girl shenanigans flag. I yeah. like it. I like it and running with it, you know. <laughs> I'll take care of this shady business. Exactly, yeah, exactly. She's got a taste for it now. Um, so I thought that was really nice. Um, and we're also, though, really hitting hard. I mean, we've kind of been leading up to it. It's been subtextual. We are just going all in on the Ward and Sky romance, right? You know, we had we had um, Lorelai in the last episode, you know, tell May that, you know, the woman that he desires is not her. Uh, so obviously that's Sky. Um, you know, we've got this sense of, of him having a thing for her and her maybe having a thing for him, although I don't think we've really textually had that acknowledged. She's got other things she's thinking about, like being made an actual agent, which is very exciting. Um, so I don't know. I I mean, it feels like they're uh, sometimes the romances happen and it works really well and everything runs along and it's and it's fine. And then sometimes it feels like a romance is being kind of shoved down your throat. You know, like these people, they're both hot, so they're going to be hot together. Just accept it. Right. You know, um, so I kind of feel like that with Ward with the Ward and Sky pairing. And uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you how you feel about that, although I pretty much already know it's hella gross and I don't want it. It's disgusting. <laughs> All right, so what is it that you hate about it? Not that there aren't lots of things to hate. I just want to hear you identify them all. <laughs> okay. Ward <laughs> remains terrible. Yes. I continue to have complicated feelings about Sky. Right. So terrible plus complicated does not equal awesome. Add that to he's or SO. We've got a power differential gross, that is not okay. right? Like it's yes. skeevy. Mm-hmm. Right. It is, mm-hmm. it is legitimately... It, hmm. It wasn't a good idea whenever this episode aired, but it's just even worse in 2018. Yeah. It's just bad. It's just Mm -hmm. bad. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. So I guess it's, I don't like their characters together. I don't like his character Mm -hmm. at all. It, Mm -hmm. it is, I, I mean, I don't know if there's a better word. It's like, um, it's unacceptable. Like it's, yeah, it's just, yeah. I don't, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to happen. They're also putting no time or effort into it. Right. Into building the relationship. Right. You know, because he's been so cold and, and she's kind of been a little flirty with him. Like, you know, that one where she's like, you know, you'll make me untidy. And she does her like whole little Southern girl thing. And in the hospital um, bed, too, you know, yeah, where they're like yeah. playfully swinging a miss ward like gross. Stop talking to one another like your people. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want it. Stop it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's um, I but I don't know. Like I. I feel like it's we're being told that this is a thing. Yeah. 
you know, as opposed to really feeling this developed. Now, it could be an interesting romantic conflict if, you know, he's her SO, he knows it's inappropriate and he's fighting it because of that and acknowledges that he is in a position of power over her and that it's not okay and that he has to fight these feelings because of that. But there's no acknowledgement of the power differential between them. They act and are coded as equals within the organization, which is not the case. Also, I feel like that would necessitate Ward having any personality whatsoever. He would need, yeah, he would need some personality for that. He would need so. some sort of injection of alien goo in order to yes. grow a personality at this point. Right. <laughs> God, I remember how much I hated him when I watched this the first time. Like, I felt exactly like that only like times 11. You know, <laughs> like I hated him so much. But okay, no spoilers. It's going to get more interesting as we go. Um, anyway, so. Place your bets. Right. <laughs> So, Deathlock. So right. good. Isn't it cool? I mean, God, it's so tragic. It is so tragic. Mike Peterson just wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to be a hero. And it feels like on every step along the way, he's just getting slapped. It gets worse and worse and worse, you know, which is, of course, how you escalate a good story. Right, I mean, that yeah. means the story's good. The character is good. Everything is good. But God, you know, I mean... You, know, you always say that to tell a good story, torture your characters. That's what you have to do. And man, are they doing that with Mike. And then when he says Mike Peterson is dead. Oh, my God. It just it breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah. He also he says it so full of like rage. Yeah. That I don't believe him. Right. Like it is no. the thing that he is saying. He to wants do that to the thing true. that he has to do. Yeah. Like if he deadpanned it, I would be like, oh, damn. <laughs> He's, no, he's he's going dissociative. Yeah, yeah. Mike Peterson is dead. Mike Peterson does not exist. So Mike Peterson can't be doing these things. It, like it also goes is, to you mentioned um, if if they were purposefully doing a dark turn with Colson, that would be really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this shows you these people know how to do an actual dark turn. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, these people know how to do a dark. Right. Turn. Here yeah. it is. Yeah. Um. Man. So good. Yeah. Yeah. I continue to be very excited and also trepidatious because I feel bad for the guy about where Mike Peterson slash Deathlock stories headed. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll see it. I need a happy <laughs> ending. Don't say anything. I need a happy ending for Mike Peterson. I'm not going to say anything. We'll get there when we get there. Um, all right. So we've got this whole line of betrayals. We've got Ward shooting Nash, the, su- the suspicion that he must be working for the real clairvoyant, um, you know, because he he shut down Nash and they tied it up in a nice, neat little bow. We've got May reporting on Coulson and being discovered and everybody has their guns on each other. You know, mm-hmm. she shoots at Fitz twice. Yeah. <laughs> and you see the cracks in the glass. One's over his forehead. One's over his heart. Damn, May, that's cold. She knows what she's doing. You can knock him out, shooting him in the thigh. You don't got to do that. In the face, that's cold. (laughs) Okay, so here's your your boring marksmanship moment. Yes. Shooting people in the arms or legs is really hard. Shooting them in the torso is much easier. She is a professional. Yeah. Yeah. Arms and legs flail all around. Body goes where the body goes. She is doing her job. I know, I know, but it's Fitz. <laughs> no, it's cold it's as hell, Fitz. man. No. It's Fitz. You don't shoot Fitz. That shit ain't right, man. No, it's, yes, it's 
that was tough. Yeah. That was tough. Oh, my God. I know. And then we get this moment where, you know, we've had all this betrayal. We're trying to figure out who's on which side. Coulson has a gun on May, you know. May has a gun on Fitz, right? You know, I mean, it's just like it's so crazy. Ward is, you know, shut up in a cell somewhere. I mean, it's just it's nuts, you know. Um, so... Also, the other thing is when she messages Fury and she says, Coulson knows, repeat, Coulson knows, that means that all along when he was trying to figure out what was happening, when he had no idea, she knew everything. And no matter what, from this point forward, like no matter how this all shakes out or what she was doing or why she was doing it, all that kind of stuff, that is always going to remain true that she watched him go through all of that when she knew it recontextualizes their tender moments where she was like giving him a pep talk to just get over it this changes everybody yeah like may is not remotely on any level the person we thought she was yeah like she's she's somebody else maybe Mm -hmm. they'll bring it back around but i mean if she knew from jump there is no way we can go back and read the moments that she was pep talking Colson as anything other than cold blooded craft work. Like she is right. spy crafting. Yeah. Man. Which really kind of sucks because that relationship is one of my favorite things about yeah, the I show. I really liked it. You yeah. know? And there and there needs to be, I think, a a consequence and an acknowledgement of that. And so, you know, whether or not we get that, we'll find out later. But uh but yeah, that's that's a tough realization at this point that no matter what she's doing even if she you know like she says i can explain just let me explain like all that kind of stuff even if there is an explanation that justifies some of it she watched him suffer Mm -hmm. not knowing and they went all over the world chasing this information down and he was tortured trying to figure it out yes and she knew she knew all along like that's that's kind of heartbreaking. I yeah, I agree. It's tough. Like I I just don't know how to feel about May. And remember, yeah. she was kind of my other big favorite. Like I oh yeah, I was really interested in this character. And now I'm just like, oh, I didn't expect for her to actually turn out to be kind of bad. Right. <laughs> or at to least have that kind of. I expected her to be yeah. bad in the way most Shield agents are bad, which right, I guess exactly. this is. But it also yeah. still feels worse. No, it does. It does because her allegiance is not to Coulson. Right. And like that's the allegiance that I believe in, you know. So so it is. It's 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 a little bit tough. Um so that's kind of a tough thing to deal with. We're going to have to, you know, wait until we move a little bit further on in the show to be able to to kind of really put that to bed and figure out, you know, where we stand, but that's that's a really kind of tough situation in that moment with her um but we've also got some cute things going on in okay, here okay wait um, i want to point out something kind of dire before we move on oh okay go ahead because and- it ties into part of our conversation about colson from the previous episode okay mm-hmm. they talk about ward shooting nash like that's a conversation that needs to be had ward is a murderer yeah like yeah that man was not a danger mm-hmm. they were apprehending him Mm-hmm. Not he, to mention they need information from him. I mean, forget the humanity of it. It's it's bad work. Oh, yeah. You know, right. Ward is being a crappy spy in that moment from the perspective of yeah. everybody else. You know, we don't know mm-hmm. if he's got other orders or whatever, but there's right. all this talk about tribunals and we're going to debrief and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, <laughs> he is going he to, to be jail. in front of a jury yeah. of his peers. Mm-hmm. He murdered that guy. And yeah. 
again, I just want to point out this kind of like weird darkness that floats around underneath where we are not dealing with the fact that murders happen. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> that in this context, yeah, like our sense of like, you know, the the moral compass is is not pointing north yeah. like in this show, you know, and it is it is a little bit disorienting sometimes because as you're watching it going along and you see that nobody is questioning. Like we even have that moment with Garrett where he's like, you know, go gentle on the guy, on the kid, right? He's just a kid, you know. Um, it's not like he accidentally shot no. Nash in the heart. Like it's not like his finger slipped and he just like he cold blooded shot this guy in the heart who was at the moment, not a threat. Yeah, he was saying, oh, I'm not going to stop until, you know, we get Sky and all this kind of stuff or whatever, right? But that's not what you do. Uh, also, not to mention the fact that, that Nash was saying there were other people involved. Yeah. Right? If you're going to protect Sky, you got to find out who those people are. And you do that by apprehending this man, not killing him. So, yeah, he's he's cold-blooded murderer guy. And nobody talks about it like that, which is my real yeah. problem. Yeah. I mean, that's Ward no. expected, I think. Mm-hmm. To, you know, yeah. to an extent. But the fact that nobody yeah. is talking. I don't blame Colson for not talking about it. What with the fact that he ordered the murders of two other men. Exactly. Right. Sheesh. Although he's so upset about this one. <sighs> Yeah. You know, at least Nash, you know, purportedly did something. At least he was purportedly a bad guy. Those two guys that Colson murdered last week. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a that's it's it's not it's a little shaky. But cute things. We got some cracks. Yeah. No, we got some cute things. I love that Fitz loves monkeys. Yeah. I love every time he brings up monkeys. It always makes me laugh when he's talking about the uh, the tagging rounds that he puts in the guns. And he says, say, you need to tag a fleeing vehicle or a wild monkey. Here's the, <laughs> the best part of that for me was May's side eye. Yes. Like the first time he did it, only Simmons reacted. And now even right. May is like, for fuck's sake, guy. Enough with the monkeys. Yeah. Right. <laughs> But it's so cute. And I love, God, I love Fitz's kind of like childlike wonder and delight. You know, he loves it. And again, it's this thing. He loves his work. I love his relationship with his work. It's so cool and it's so wonderful. And I just, everything about Fitz, I love. I'm I'm trying to uh, keep all of the good things in front of my mind because part of this feels like Fitz is the guy who also accidentally makes a deathlock monkey. Oh, yeah. No, that would absolutely. You know, like he's I like, think, I was just I trying to make him better and more smart and cuter and awesome. Exactly. And apparently I put a laser in his eye. Exactly. <laughs> I wasn't really thinking. And this just sort of happened. I tripped and I gave him, you know, like automatic rounds that shoot out of his fingers. You know, like, yeah, it's just. <laughs> he's a service monkey. It's self-protection. I monkey. don't know. Right. You know. Right. No, it's just, yeah, you, you know, you think about whether you can and not whether you should. Right. Fitz, that sometimes happens, right? I love the. The, um, the the moment when Simmons is packing up to go and they're talking about which one is uh, is Sherlock and which one is Watson, right? And so Fitz says, I've always pictured you as Dr. Watson. And the incredulous look on Simmons' face <laughs> yes. when he says that, like, are you insane? Like, Also, <laughs> not for nothing, I don't want to break both of their hearts. They are both collectively the Watson. <laughs> Why? Because neither one of them is a sociopath. Is that why? <laughs> oh, okay. Let's go with that. I just meant. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> neither one of them is sort of like the person out in front, you know. 
Yeah, no, true. They are true. collectively they are both, Watson. They are both kind of a sidekick. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but it was kind of a No, it's great. The Simmons is just like, yeah. what what planet are you on? I know. Oh. I mean, it was just such a great, great look on her face. I really, I loved that. So I thought that that was really good. I thought the whole thing with Blake hitting on May, are you a Scorpio? <laughs> that was weird, right? Okay. So I didn't. I have no idea where this is going. I did not want to mm-hmm. further muddy my four-color facts with this business. Okay. But you may recall, in passing, I have mentioned that there is a super-secret spy organization in the 616 called Scorpio. Ah. I don't think that's what's happening, but I was like, right. is this a call sign? Are you? That's interesting. <laughs> if he's asking not, are you a Scorpio, but are you Scorpio? I mean, he's like clearly also hitting on her in that moment. So it's a good cover to see if she responds with the, re- you know, the right. call sign response. Right. I don't oh, think that's that what's happening at all. But I was like, yeah, Blake seems like the kind of nozzle that would also work for Scorpio. Right. Sure. Absolutely. That's really, that is interesting. And you know what? And it's entirely possible though, because I believe, I mean, my understanding is I think this is true of Joss Whedon, but it's also his brother, Jed Whedon, who, who is a showrunner. And I think they, they have like deep, deep knowledge of, of comic books. So it is entirely possible that that could be not something that's textual mm-hmm. in the show itself, but really kind of a little Easter egg thing. Could It really could be. They are the right age for the initial they would have been reading comics when Scorpio really like showed up and came to the forefront. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I like that. All right. So we've got these two episodes. Joshua, tell me, what is your favorite part? Okay. This is kind of weird, kind of conceptual. Mm-hmm. But you remember in Yes Men when the top of the airplane opens up because that seems like a good idea to just have a button yes. for. Sure. And Sif shoots out of it. And somebody's mm-hmm. like, we lost her. She's out. And Coulson just insists that she in, insists. What the hell? <laughs> That's staying in. And Coulson just okay. insists <laughs> that she's fine because she's as guardian. Uh-huh. And that kind of gets me close to the feel that I would like to have had from a version of this show, right? Where you have relatively normal people in a superhero universe. Right. Like everything right, just gets the- scaled up. You know, right. And they have the presumption of normalcy. Like had it been anybody else, they would have been gone. Right. right. He's like, no, she's as guardian. She's on the thing. She's Get her back it. in the plane. She's doing the thing. Like it wasn't <laughs> and a of course huge he's moment. Right. Yeah. But it just kind of mm-hmm. made me feel like there is a version of this show that was kind of that all the time that I would have been oh, yeah. really entertained by. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. I really like that moment, too. I thought that was good, and especially Coulson's incredible amount of faith in Sif. Right. right? Like he oh, I've knows seen her fight. She's she still is. up there. Yeah. It's okay, y'all. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's really, really good. Um, my favorite part is Fitz's response to the betrayal, mm-hmm. um, the way that he struggles with it so much emotionally, the way that that hits him. He's so, like, Fitz is the most vulnerable person in that group, like by a mile, you know, um, he is so hurt and he, these people mean the world to him. These are family, you know, and Fitz is the heart, you know, he really is like, he is, he is the one with the, the emotional breath, the emotional vulnerability. And I love that that role is being played by a man who is made no less masculine by that emotional breath. I love that. So, um, so that's kind of, that's my favorite thing. Fitz often will be my favorite part of almost any of these episodes. (laughs) No, it makes sense. I mean, I, I, 
again, we don't we don't really deal with it textually either. But the fact that he stumbled on that while being up to no good himself just fascinates me. Yeah, like, like yeah. we're not, we're probably not going to deal with it at all. But that's just a really interesting space to me. So I'm I'm with you. He's so great and so vulnerable and. And it's not the first time that's cropped up. Like every time yeah. somebody on this team of liars and spies yes. does some lying and spying, he's just like, what? You know. He's like, no. So good. He doesn't believe it. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. I think that's great about him. And it's it's really fun to kind of see that, you know. No spoilers as we evolve through the series, um, how he evolves as well. It's going to be really fun. All right. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. I am at Lonnie Diane Rich and Joshua is at Joshua Unruh. And the hashtag is listen up, a-holes. This episode of Listen Up, A-Holes was brought to you by Chipperish producer Alyssa from Dallas. Alyssa supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level and as a reward gets to send her message out to all of you. Alyssa says, while we can't be Cap or Iron Man, we can be the old man who refuses to kneel. So get out there and vote, a-holes. Thank you, Alyssa. And thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions and makes Listen Up, A-Holes a thing. Right. To find out how you, too, can become a Listen Up, A-Holes producer, visit the Patreon links in the show notes. Producer-level support options are available at both Pulp Diction Productions and Chipperish Media. You can also show your support by leaving a great review on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for more people to find us and join in the conversation. Links are in the show notes. All right. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up, A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Until then, use these tag rounds if you need to track a fleeing vehicle or a wild monkey.